bit flustered. But we're starting a new series today, and it's pretty obvious now since you can see the slide in front of you. We are moving on from heroes of our faith in general to discover discipleship. And as we discover discipleship, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be a disciple? Now, we're going to explore more questions than that, but what does it mean to be a disciple? It's a, it's a term that we throw around a lot. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What is discipleship anyways? How should a Christian live? How should they breathe? What should we do as disciples of Christ? Because I think a lot, there's a lot more to it than just what we believe. It's about how we live and what we do and what we say with our lives. So how should we, tra- how should we also be training up other people around us to also live as disciples? For some of the coming weeks, we're going to be looking to some of the specific disciples that Jesus Christ had, the 12 apostles. But we're also going to be looking to not just their stories, but in general, stories from the Bible which share, share with us how we can be a better disciple. We're going to start today, though, with this simple question. What is a disciple? When we think of a disciple, we think of the New Testament. We think specifically of 12 men that Jesus chose. And, of course, you're correct in that thinking. We're thinking of Peter, John, James, Judas, Andrew, Simon... Philip, Matthew, Jude, we're thinking of Thomas, James, we're thinking of those 12 people. But the Greek word for disciple, if you look up the word disciple, we may associate it with the Bible, but it's not really just a biblical term. The word disciple actually means a learner, somebody who's learning from somebody. So who is a disciple? I want to start with this. You are a disciple. We all are disciples of something or someone, somewhere, and at some point in our lives, we're all a disciple. You may not realize it, but you're all being discipled by something. Maybe you're a disciple of the Jedi ways. I know there's some people in here that like the Star Wars movies. Maybe you're a disciple of Jeet Kune Do, Bruce Lee's martial arts. Maybe you're a disciple of the art of fishing. I like being that disciple. Maybe you're a disciple... Of something else. Maybe you're a disciple, I wrote, of farming or of the Western ways. You just love watching all the old Western movies and learning about how they used to do things compared to today. You can be a disciple, a learner of many different things, but today we're obviously not talking about that. We're talking about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And everyone in here should be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you're not, well, we're going to talk about that. Because As a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are learning from him. We're believing in Jesus. We're believing in something beyond ourselves. We're believing in a creator, in God, and in his son Jesus who came to die upon the cross for us. But it goes beyond believing. It goes beyond learning. You see, Jesus gave the word discipleship a new meaning, a richer meaning. Jesus Jesus introduced the concept of following. So a disciple then, when we're talking about biblical discipleship, is not just somebody who's learning from Jesus, learning the art of fishing, learning the Western ways, learning any of these other things. A disciple in the biblical context is somebody who should be following after Jesus. Step one to becoming a disciple is to connect with the master. Connect with Jesus. We're going to keep this sermon today very basic and just an introduction to the idea of discipleship. As we use the 
the coming weeks to really talk about what does it mean to be a disciple? What should we be doing with our lives? And as we look to the Bible to explore that. But step one, we cannot be a disciple unless we connect with the master. You connect with the one who's mentoring you. You connect with Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Lord and Savior, we follow after him. We believe in Jesus Christ, but there's a difference between believing and being a disciple. We must not simply believe, but we firmly trust in him. We confess of our sins. We need the cross, and we place our trust in him. We could have never been good enough to earn our salvation on our own. We needed Jesus. This week I was also reminded of that, that we need to confess in order to truly connect with the master, to become that disciple, we need to confess that we need that master. We need Jesus in this instance. Now, again, we can look at discipleship from many different ways. But when we're talking about Jesus, when we're talking about God, when we're talking about being a disciple of his ways, we need to confess. Now, I ask you, when was the last time you actually confessed? your sins, confessed all your problems in your life and how you don't serve him as you should. You don't follow his ways as you should. I'm sure all of us should remember that first day that we confessed of our sins. That was life-changing, or it should have been. And if you haven't done it yet, then talk to one of us here today. Do you really appreciate what Jesus did for you, though? Do you really appreciate the fact that we don't deserve heaven? We don't deserve God at all. From the beginning of creation, we sinned against him. And each and every single day, we let him down as we choose our own wants and our own desires instead of him. I think we all need to be reminded that to connect with the master, to connect with Jesus Christ, we need to confess. Now, I believe in eternal security. I believe that once I'm saved, I'm always saved, if you are truly saved to begin with, if you're truly one of his his people, one of his children. But when was the last time that you actually just honored God and showed him the respect that you have for him? Showed him how much you appreciate everything that, you do, that he does for you. I believe each and every single day we should go to God as we cry out to him and we say, God, I am sorry for yesterday. I am sorry for the day before. Lord, just help me today to serve you how I should. Thank you for dying upon that cross for me. But moving on, we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And we need to honor that with our lives. We need to respect that. We're not just Christ believers, but we're disciples of Christ in all his ways and instructions. And if you have professed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you have the spirit inside of you to help you through all of this. So, you're not alone. As you're a disciple, as you're learning his ways, you're not alone. You have this great spirit inside you, the spirit of God, to help you each and every single day. Now, in being a disciple of Jesus, we're connecting, we're growing, and we're serving. Every single day of our lives, those are three aspects of being a disciple. We're connecting with him, we're growing in him, and we're serving him. So we're going to start this morning with reading from Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22. And you're welcome to follow along with me. I did... Put the first scripture reference on the board for you. But we're going to be moving from there. And if you would please just honor God's word this morning. Let's stand as we read this.
while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I'm actually going to move on here, though, and I want to read just another scripture reference here from Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. You see, I think it's really important that we cross-reference. We don't just read one particular scripture, but we read before, we read after, we we read any bit of scripture which is related to that. Sometimes we can get a lot more details. So let's read this. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. I'll give you a moment to turn there if you like. And in Luke 5, 1 through 11, we read this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. There's an interesting fact. Luke always calls it um, the lake. By Matthew, we're call, it's called the sea. And it was a great lake. It was a big lake. It was a major source of water. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. As I was developing this message, this sermon this morning, I started out with this one thought. As we're reading through that, I think point one is to connect with Jesus. Step one is to connect to Jesus, but it's also just to love God. How much do you love God? He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He was so awestruck by the miracle that he had seen. He was so amazed by the love of God that he fell down at his knees and he realized that I am a worthy sinner and I don't deserve to be in your presence. But what does Jesus say? Jesus tells him to stand up. He says, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Look at all the extra details we got just by going to one extra set of scripture from Matthew to Luke. And there's more that we could read, but we're not going to read on with that story. We're going to come back to this. Step two of becoming a disciple of Jesus is to be growing in him. A disciple of Christ not only connects with him, 
but he's actively working at growing in him. And one way to grow in him is to serve him. That's what we're seeing here in this scripture, is Peter is serving him, and then in the end he's told to follow after him. But my question for us this morning, as we're looking at this scripture and we're applying it to our lives, is are we growing in Jesus? Are we serving God? Are we really following him in faith in everything? They left everything and followed Jesus. Are you studying his word, the Bible? Are you worshiping him? And not just on Sunday mornings, but every single day. And not just worshiping him with your, vo your voice, but are you worshiping him with your life? Are you living a life of prayer? Are you giving to God what is his? How else might we grow? How else might we serve him? That's what a disciple does. A disciple is a learner, but Jesus, he, he brought this whole new idea of discipleship into play here. As a disciple is not a, just a learner, but they were told to follow him. Follow after him, and in order to follow him, and in order to grow in him, we serve him. In Luke chapter 14, 25 to 33, we read of the cost of discipleship. It says this, Now great crowds accompanied, accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not... While the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Sounds a little bit crazy, doesn't it? Jesus is here speaking to the multitude, speaking to the great crowds who are accompanying him. And he's telling them of this great cost to be a disciple. He's just about scaring them away, isn't he? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and even hates his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Here's the thing. He wasn't really telling people to literally go and hate their families, to hate their own life. Jesus wanted his followers to really think about this choice. And as we see even that, he says, For which of you desiring to build a tower... Why would this man, Jesus, start talking about building a tower? None of us are building towers, right? We're just, we're just following this great man, this man Jesus, who claims to be the Son of God. Why would he be talking to us about building a tower? You've got to look at each and every single word closely, because as you sit down and you really think, what is God trying to tell us? What was God telling them? Does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Jesus wanted them and Jesus wants us to really think about the cost of being a disciple. He wanted them to really make a decision, a choice, which they were going to stand by. 
Not just a quick choice, which when times become hard, they, were, they would just leave his side. He had these multitudes following him, but they weren't truly following him. They were just looking to see what he would do next. The hatred called for here is showing us an example of a lesser love. We should love Jesus so much that everything else looks like little love. Like hate in comparison to how much we love him. We don't literally hate our brothers and sisters. We don't really hate our mom and dad. We don't really hate our own lives. It's just, we should be loving Jesus so much that it looks like that. How much we connect in him, how much we grow in him, how much we serve him... This should all be the utmost of an importance in our life. He should be the number one priority of our lives. Everything else comes second. It should be God, then our families, and then everybody else. Where does God stand in your life, on your priority list? Jesus here is saying that you cannot be a true disciple of his unless you have made him the number one. You love him more than anything else. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He goes on from there, though. He doesn't just talk about building a tower and sitting down and make sure you have enough to complete it. But he talks about a king who's about to go to war. And he, he doesn't just run into war unprepared, but he thinks through what he's getting himself into, what he's getting his people into. He must sit down first and deliberate whether he is able to go to war. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The crowds before him were following him, but they were not really committed to him. Jesus here was setting the cost of discipleship as high as possible for them to see the contrast of the demands of being his disciples versus the demands of living in the world. It's always going to be easier to live in the world. It's going to be easier to make... the to make choices which are not godly choices. But being called to be a disciple is a, high, a higher calling. Serving God is a higher calling and a calling which is full of blessings. Now, as we first commit our lives to him, we have the huge blessing of knowing that we have life, eternal life. But that's not the type of discipleship we're talking about here. Even in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter um, 5, as we're reading about the disciples going fishing. He's not asking them to commit their lives to him in salvation. What he's asking is for them to serve him. A building, building itself, a king, they're all examples showing that he wanted these people to seriously consider the demands, count the cost, and carefully consider what it meant to be a disciple. We too must do this. We need to look to our lives. Count the cost. Really look to it. And don't be scared away because you need to know, as we said, that we have the Holy Spirit within us to help us through it all. But we need to know that we need to devote our whole life to Him. Not just part of our life. We need to love Him so much that everything else looks like hatred. But it's just a lesser love. Connecting. Growing. Serving. Everything we do, we should be looking to follow Jesus. And in the scripture today, that's what he's telling his disciples, to serve him. Let's go back to Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11, as we read this a little bit more. And we read what serving him really meant to Peter here. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11, for you who are turning there. 
And you are welcome to use your cell phones, as Lee said. I hope you're using it for your Bible app or for notes, not for Facebook. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11, we read this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret. So again, Jesus has these crowds following him. He's standing beside the lake. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help him. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the story of Jesus calling his first disciples. But again, he's not calling his first disciples in this instance to come and believe in me. These disciples already know him. They already believe in him. They've already listened to him preach. And it wasn't just in this instance that they listened to him preach. These disciples were disciples of John. And they had seen, seen Jesus at other times. They possibly even followed Jesus for a little bit. But they hadn't yet committed their lives to him. Jesus got into the boat and asked Peter to take the boat back out. As he was asking Peter to do something very odd and very demanding, Simon Peter would have been very surprised. And you see that. He says, Master, really? We've been fishing all night long. Some of you may be fishermen and some of you may not be. And that's okay. We're not all perfect. <laughs> but allow me to set the scene here. The fishermen had gotten, gone out of the lake... The fishermen had gone out of them because it was no longer a good time to fish. If you're a fisherman, you generally know there's certain good times to fish and there's certain bad times to fish. Generally, the hottest time of the day is not the best time to fish unless you've got the right equipment, the right boat, the right rod, or the right everything to find them, to go searching for them. There are good times and bad times to fish. Now, in Wisconsin, since I moved here from Ohio, I can say I think there's a lot of good times to fish. And this past week, I was able to fish and, and catch a huge fish. That's a story for another time. I'm counting it a catch. <laughs> Ask me about that later. But there are good times and bad times to fish. This could be in relation to the time of the day, the time of the year, the weather that's coming in or going out. These fishermen had gone out fishing all night long. And they didn't catch a thing. They had nothing to say for it. And now Jesus comes. He gets in their boat. And he's telling them... To put your nets out. Let's catch some fish. Let's go fishing. Now during the daytime, if you understand the day and age here, during the daytime the fish would go deep. They would go for the cool water. 
And these boats and nets they have, they weren't really equipped to go that deep and get the fish. That's why they would fish at nighttime. They would fish when it was cooler out. The fish would come up shallower. It was easier to find them. It was easier to catch them. But they have nothing to show for their fishing. Empty nets. And now Jesus is telling them, let's try again. Now, I, I read one commentator once, or I heard one preacher talking once, that they believe Jesus did two miracles here. They think God was setting the scene here by not allowing them to catch the fish the night before. So these are professional fishermen, and they went out fishing. They're used to fishing, and yet they're not catching any fish. God held them back. I don't know. It really doesn't talk about that, but we do see the second miracle. They have nothing to show for their fishing efforts but empty nets, which they are now mending and fixing and preparing for the next fishing trip. And yet Jesus comes to them, and he tells them to put your nets overboard. Now here's another, another detail here about the fishermen. These are ordinary men who are going to be used for an, for an extraordinary purpose, for an extraordinary God. Ordinary men, they were not rich. They were not poor. They were not famous. They were not a special class or descendants of anything special. In fact, fishermen were often looked down upon at this time. They were not Pharisees or scribes or rabbi. They were fishermen. God can and may use anyone he likes, anyone he pleases, as long as we have a willing heart to follow him, to leave everything and serve him. God will equip those who he chooses and whom are willing to serve him. We may be ordinary men and women of God, and that's okay. We can't allow that to hold us back. Satan likes to try and tell us we're not good enough. But we already know we're not good enough. We already know we don't deserve anything God gives us. But time and time again, we see from the word of God that God still loved us so much to send Jesus and to die for us despite our sins. And despite of our sins, despite of our failures, God still uses us each and every single day. Ordinary people can be used by an extraordinary God. But we need to follow after him and be disciples. These people were fishermen. This was their trade. This was their profession. And here comes Jesus coming and trying to tell them what to do to catch the fish. Peter listens. And then we do see he obeys. But Peter was also known of kind of putting his foot in his mouth. I think we see this as we look back and he says, Simon, he, he was asked to put out a little from land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Well, Simon answered him. We all have kids. We've all been kids once. And we may think back of our kids. They may listen and obey. But a lot of times first, they've got to put their foot in their mouth. They've got to speak up. So Simon did this. He answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Now, I notice in my Bible translation, it has an exclamation mark there. This was a powerful statement. This is like, Jesus, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Now it's the worst time of the day. I'm the fisherman. I know what I'm doing. Why would we do this now? Now, maybe I'm reading into it a little bit, but that's how I read it. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. He may put his foot in his mouth, he may speak when he shouldn't, but he still listens and obeys, and he does what God tells him to do. And as we read on here, we see that he's going to be rewarded for his obedience. Why listen to a total stranger how to fish? Because he knew who that total stranger was. Why do we listen and do as God tells us to do in the Bible, despite how hard it might be to live 
the life of a disciple. Because we know who God is. We know who Jesus is. We know the power of God. Jesus is not a stranger to them, and Jesus is not a stranger to us. We must follow Jesus, and all we do, we follow him. We trust him. We obey him. We take him at his word, and we do it as he tells us to do. Peter, in obedience to Jesus, maybe in a bit of curiosity as well, he puts the boats out, he puts the net out as Jesus, and I can imagine myself in my mind, and maybe him, he's saying, well, I'm going to do what Jesus says, but we already fished all night long. I don't see how this is going to be any different. But out of obedience and out of curiosity, he does what Jesus says to do, and now look what happens. When they did as Jesus said, the nets began to be filled with fish. I quote, the nets were enclosed with a large number of fish, but not just a large number of fish, not one, not two, not three. So many fish that their nets, freshly mended nets, began to break. So many fish that they had to call over the other boat to help. So many fish that even with both boats, they began to fill so high that both boats began to sink. And Peter fell to Jesus' knees and recognized his unworthiness to be in the presence of God. As he says, oh Lord God. He was a sinful man just like us and yet he confesses to Jesus. Just like we must confess to Jesus, we don't deserve any of it. But God still allows us to be served uh, to serve him. God still allows ordinary people to serve an extraordinary God. Jesus still used him. He used them. He used Peter, James, John, and all the apostles to do mighty, mighty works, mighty acts in his name. But they were told one thing. No longer will you just be fishermen. You will become fishers of men. And they left everything and followed him. So we go back to that first question. What is a disciple of Jesus. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ in here today? When was the last time you fell at your knees and confessed your sins to him and just said, Lord, I am unworthy. I sin each and every single day, yet you still forgive me and you still allow me to serve you. Lord, take me today. I give you everything. Follow him. Give him your life. What have you left for him? What have you not left for him? What do you need to leave at the altar today and leave here and go out into the world as a new disciple of his, following after him? What are you holding back? What do you need to leave today? I want to close with this scripture from 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29 tells us this. For consider your calling, brothers... Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We are unworthy to have life. We're unworthy to serve him. But God uses the lowly. 
God uses the unworthy. God uses each and every one of us to serve him. And through doing this, he will be glorified. What do you need to leave today to follow after him? Discover discipleship, connect, grow, and serve. It all comes down to following him. Follow him as we connect to him. Follow him as we grow in our relationship with him. And follow him as we serve him. Follow him. I'm going to pray as the worship band comes up to close us in a song. Please bow your heads. Lord Jesus, we fall at our knees today as we confess that we are sinners and we are undeserving for life. We're undeserving to even have your attention for you to look down upon us, Lord. But you use us and you forgive us and we thank you for that, Lord. Please forgive us today of our sins. Please forgive us as we make choices that may not always be right, may not always glorify you. But Lord, we pray today that we might leave it all behind and look to you. Look to serve you with our life. Lord, and if there's anybody in here who has not, not dedicated their life to you, I pray that you would convict them today and lead them into a lasting relationship with you so that they might follow you as well. In your holy and powerful name we pray.